as I stand here, I'm thinking of something. I'm thinking of the fact that we have traditions. Many of you have Christmas traditions. We have Christmas traditions. Thank you, Tim. Some of the traditions, I see things online. There's a family who has an ugly ornament tree, and they have an ugly ornament exchange. And it was funny because, you know, I always read the comments on everything. I don't know. Maybe I just like to see people argue online. I don't know. But I read it. And it was funny because some of these ornaments were so hideous. And there were people in the comments saying, I think it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, the one was a dolphin and there were bubbles. I guess it was supposed to be bubbles, but it looked like a dolphin in throw up. It was just people. I saw one family, they have a Griswold Christmas party. Pretty funny. I mean, some of the outfits and some of the things you forget how good that movie is sometimes until you see a family acting it out. There's traditional things that we do. One of the things I was reminded of when my children were born, you can't wait to tell everyone. You can't wait. That's Ella. We didn't have one of Liam that I could find. That was a funny time when he was born. Remember? Me and Dina were just like, how is he that awake at 3 in the morning? What is going on right now? That old guy. But when they were born, I couldn't wait to tell the people that I loved all about him. Tell them all about Ella. And it's wild because you've been there. And you just, you want people to know. The people that I love, the people that I'm closest to. Some people were there in this little waiting room when Liam was born. It was at Lake West in Willoughby. And at that time, their waiting room was about as big as this pool pit. And they were all just crammed together waiting for the good news. And so today I want to talk tradition. I want to talk about a few things. And I want to read out of Luke chapter 2 something that can become traditional for some of us. But here's what I need you to do. I'm going to read it and I need you for a moment to act as if you have never heard it before. Because something hit me this week along the lines of gospel and I can't let go of it. I cannot let go. Luke chapter 2 starting at verse 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. Some say betrothed, but I I like betrothed. Who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And as I'm reading this, this next part, it just, it starts to wreck me. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And so it was when those angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning the child. Here's where it hits me. This story of grace and this story of gospel, the way that it plays out, that in our traditions, we have ways of looking at things. We have ways of seeing it. And I think at that time, if you could announce the birth of a Savior, given all of the ways that God could have played this out, he could have gone to Caesar, the emperor of Rome, to make it widely known very quickly. Could have gone to King Herod. Herod was over that region. He could have gotten the word out. He could have made it known to the high priest. This is God. He could speak to the high priest and get this word out. He could have even gone to the mayor of Bethlehem. The mayor could have had a parade. He could have had something go on to let everyone know the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. But what's wild, the palace doesn't hear about it. The temple doesn't hear about it. Jerusalem doesn't hear about it. But there is this anonymous group of sheep herders. Maybe it's the Leroy in me. But I love this part of the story. I love the fact that it says anonymous. We never even learn these guys' names, but we see them. We may have nativity sets at home that they're right there. We sing about them. They're in the hymns. We've conditioned ourselves to think that at the time that Jesus was born, that it was just this come one, come all, and everyone was welcome and everyone. But the truth was in the society that they lived in, this was not the group of people you would want showing up when your baby was born. If they had darkened the door probably when my kids were born, like that picture with Dina, I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? What are you guys doing here? A shepherd. The best picture I can find, this is from around 1920, the shepherd. The life that these people lived is not something that I can comprehend, even if I am from Leroy. There were several occupations at that time, but few were as demanding and as degrading as this one. These were the last people you would expect God to take notice of. And I say that because we get into this walk and we tend to categorize things and we tend to see it our way and we tend to think this is what holiness means and this, and we don't ask God sometimes and we start to categorize people and we start to push them to the side and we say who's worthy and who's not worthy. Now that sounds mean, but I'm telling you the truth when it comes to some churches, not this one, but some churches. Don't you think that they're wondering how could God even see us all the way out here? Here's the truth. They were religious outcasts. Not just looked down on. These people were outcasts. Do you know why this is? According to law, they were unclean. 
There were two ways to go about it back then. You were either clean or unclean. They were unclean. They worked 24-7, 365. They were not able to participate in the feasts or the holy days that went on. They didn't get to observe the calendar like other people would because they were out in the field. Because someone had to watch the sheep. So when everyone else was making their trip to Jerusalem to do those things that they would do, they were out in the field. They were excluded. Have you ever felt excluded? When it comes to even the things of God, have you ever felt like pushed on the outside by others? But what's wild, they weren't just religious outcasts. But wait, there's more. They were social outcasts. I'm going to say clearly right now that the setting is always significant in the God story. The setting is always significant, whether it be about an unnamed bunch of shepherds or whether it be about you right now sitting in this seat. That there is a significance to the setting that God will always use. When I begin to simply exist, I allow the world to define me. When you simply exist spiritually, your definition will not come from Jesus Christ. It will come from the world. Don't just exist. And so I look at it and I think of that. And I think, like, you have this outcast thing. So, you know, I'm a social outcast. I'm a religious outcast. I'm an outcast. Taking my wife's post-it notes. I'm an outcast. When I simply exist, this is what starts to happen. They were constantly, here's a wild thing. Why were they social outcasts? Because they were on the move. You saw that picture of that shepherd. Go back to that black and white picture. Look at the green pastures he's in. Not really. Sheep need food. And so they would go from place to place looking for food. But as they did so, they were seen suspect by other people. They were nomads. They were, if something went missing, these were the guys that got blamed for it. They were so low, they weren't able to even give testimony in a court of law because they were considered untrustworthy. At your lowest point, Jesus loved you. He doesn't look at the social status of things. He doesn't view it in the way that the world does with things. And so I look at this and I'm thinking, they don't have much contact with other people. Verse 8 says they were out living in the fields. There was no one to look after them to say, you guys are working so hard, take some time off. There were no regular hours. Regular hours were all of them. They didn't come home at the end of the night and have dinner with their family. They kept watch while the sheep grazed. They looked out for predators while their sheep were eating. And here's what's wild. Do you know how they got rewarded for it? At the end of the day, check this out. Boom. They got to lay down in a doorway of a sheep pen and not only look out, we're always like in the wolves. and the, Yes, but people stole sheep too. So someone may just be looking, waiting for them to fall asleep and think, I need to take some sheep. These guys got no rest even when they got rest. There are times that I have walked around spiritually feeling so tired inside because I was doing it in my way. Shepherds, real-life shepherds, did not smell like fresh pine and cinnamon like yours may in your little nativity set. 
They didn't get a lot of invites. They weren't welcomed into the birthing units and nurseries of hospitals. But imagine this in this moment, that God himself speaks to this conductor of the angel choir. And he says, something's going on. I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you go and perform the greatest thing that you have done up to this point. You are going to announce the birth of my son. Can you not imagine that angel just. And then God says to a dirty group of shepherds. Even in the way that we see things. They're going and they're going to announce it. Those shepherds had not earned that visit. You have not earned the visitation from Jesus Christ. Every time I think of turning my nose up, I'm reminded of this gospel, of this grace, of this fact that even in the beginning that it came down to those that no one else would want to be around. Imagine that. They hadn't earned it. Of all the things that have been foretold in scripture, I don't see anywhere that talks about this anonymous shepherd group. I mean, is it not wild? Like nobody even got named. But that's not what it was about. Living your life wondering if God sees you. Living your life being told over and over you're not worthy. Living your life no matter where you turn, you don't measure up. Not welcome. It's just you. And your stinky self. But when that announcement was given, the Bible says they were sore afraid. I've read that so many times, and it would stand to reason that if you were out in a dark field and there was a heavenly host, that it would be somewhat off-putting. But part of me, when I read it now, begins to think, imagine a life where everybody puts you down. And then at the moment when God shows up, you're probably thinking, I'm about to get told off in a heavenly way. I say that because when we get in places, when God shows up in our lives, that sometimes we can already prejudge what God's going to say and how he's going to put us down and how he's going to tell us everything that we've done wrong. But in this moment, the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Don't be afraid. From the very beginning of this, peace has gone along with the gospel. Up to that point, they may have felt like the only thing they got was bad news. There may have been times since you accepted Jesus Christ that you feel like you jump from trouble to trouble. He is in the field with you. He is in that place with you. He has a way of tailor-making the moment for his glory to shine. Don't be afraid, he's saying. And this is one that I need to repeat. Do not be afraid right now. And don't be afraid for the moment that's to follow. It bears repeating because I feel like when I was praying that I just started crying, thinking about people here and thinking about the things that they go through. Don't be afraid. The God that we serve has you. 
Don't be afraid in what's going to follow because he's already there. This gospel is good. This news, it's life-changing. And then those words. This is the part that I love. Today in the town of David. And can't you just see them at that moment, the first time a light bulb has gone on for them? Wait, David. He was a shepherd like we were a shepherd. The template has been set. God knows. God knows. And God is not going to take all the things that you've gone through and it just be this pile of condemnation. In this moment, God's saying to them, remember who else I saw. Remember who a man after my own heart was. This David, that you are in good company, men. This gift that will define love, this savior, a savior is a rescuer, a redeemer, a deliverer, who is Christ, a Messiah, an anointed one, who is the Lord, a master or ruler is here. In a world that takes everything that it can, the tide is turning. It's turning. You've never felt the word redemption, maybe. Maybe you sit in this place and you think, I wish, I wish, I wish. You know what? The time to wish can end. Jesus Christ is here. I look at it in this way, that one of the saddest things is to be near the love of God and never experience the love of God. At that moment, something let them know that everything was okay. All of their life may have been spent alone, but all of the things up to a certain point that you feel like make an existence will give way to purpose, will give way to purpose. When God begins to lay it down and God says, I have ordained this time with you. I see you. These shepherds, and I think about this, they probably lived according to what is man code. When I was little and I would hang out with my friends, we would have man code. I don't even know what it was. We made it up as we went along. It's pretty manipulative, actually, because we just wanted to egg each other on. But I remember, you know, I would go to my grandparents' house, and she watched me very well, kind of. And I would go with my friends, and we would always end up in Menor Cemetery. Always. It's a thing we did. And no matter what game we would play or call it, it always ended up in something called fisticuffs. Always did. And I don't know why, but I remember there was this thing, and they would get you down and be like, say uncle. I promise you the last relative I would name is uncle. I would go through great grandma. I'd go through second cousin twice removed. I'd go through everything. And I remember being on the ground, just say uncle. Not going to say it. Man code. Not going to say it. And I think with these shepherds that there comes a certain point where you get tired of getting beat up and you just need to say, I'm not going to say what you want me to, enemy. I'm not going to repeat those words that you want me just to tap out right here because there's more in me. And you may be throwing, but I'm telling you, I've got all day and I'm just laying here resting. You may think you're whooping me, but I'm just laying here resting and I'm not going to say it. The world does not define you. It doesn't define me. It doesn't place these labels on me that mean anything. It can all day long go through the whole thing of post-its, and I can be like, hmm, yeah, that's not me. Or I can look at it and be like, woe is me. 
the world hath defined me. There is a difference, and I have to say this, between consequence and carrying condemnation. What's amazing at this point is the men who were dedicated to one purpose left those sheep behind in those moments, and they raced off to see where this baby was. And the thing was, as they raced along, they were doing this the whole way. So here were guys that may think, well, we're introverts because we only hang out with sheep, and they became extroverted real quick. And I say that because in a spiritual sense, I feel like some of us lay claim to, well, I am an introvert. Well, quit. When it comes to Jesus Christ, don't do that. Because this gospel needs to be shared. This gospel needs to be preached through your words and through your actions. And when we're just like, yep, I won't do that. Well, there's a problem. And it's not with God. A God truth is, if it's life-changing, you're not going to shut your mouth about it. And here's a crazy, crazy thing. Okay, so for every, we're going to have one up here in a manger. Have you ever seen a manger in a Christmas play? little wood thing, right? If you cut the legs off of it, it could be used for baby Moses. If you did a play about him, you just, it could be anything you want it to be. Here's what's wild about it. When the archaeologists dig stuff up, that's a manger. And when I began to think about it, I began to think this. Not everyone would have known where to look for a manger. But these men did. And why did they? Because of the places that they had walked that felt like condemnation. The angels said, go and find a baby. Got it. Go and find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Got it. Go and find a baby in a manger. Most people would freak out. Like, where would you even find a manger? Where would I find a manger? Can't Google it. Can't Syria. You can't do any of that stuff. But they knew that they knew because these were the specialists. And so the very things that were meant to destroy you and cause you shame and put you down, that there have been lessons learned that God's going to walk with you and he's going to reveal things that other people can't even see, that other people wouldn't even know are there. And so what these men do is they put on a clinic. They set a template. They drop everything to run to see this king. They spread the word. They became living birth announcements. You, my friend, are a living birth announcement. You do not expire. You need to keep proclaiming it. When it comes to this season, and it can be so crazy, like I said, we can get so aggravated that when we finally crawl into Christmas, we're just mean. Because of all the traditions and all the things and all the goddess and all the... And the truth is that Jesus Christ, who came as that infant baby, is just as real today as he was back then. And the good tidings of great joy are just as real right now as they were then. And am I going to let everything else get in the way of giving God praise? Or am I just going to... Be like these guys. Like, can you imagine it? What are you doing here? Well, I got a Jesus to see. Whoa, 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 you stink. Get on out. Nope. 
I got a Jesus to see. See, I didn't have time to throw on the right guard before I went running after my Savior because that's what the angels told me to do. I say that as a challenge this morning. That gospel is still just as alive, just as relevant, just as cutting through. And what's wild as those guys turn back around, it did not say that those shepherds hung out at the site of nativity and they became tour guides for the rest of their days and people looked upon them lovingly. When they were done, it said they went back to the field, but I guarantee that field looked different. And I guarantee that this gospel still got talked about. And I guarantee that the places that they went, that things began to change. I ask you this this morning. If you're here and you have never met Jesus Christ, today's the day. If you are here and you have not missed a service in the past five years and you've sat in a nice brown seat, it's comfy, but you feel hollow inside, well, today's the day. All of the things up to this point that felt like condemnation, that is not my Jesus. And I think what I realized when I was sitting there crying in my office about this is the fact that some of us merely exist. And we're hoping that at some point somebody writes something nice on a post-it and sticks it to us. I'm done with that. If you'll stand, we're going to pray. If you're in this house and you don't know Jesus Christ... It would be an honor to pray with you. And here's how I'll say it. I've been in churches where they do this thing, you know, like every head bowed and every eye closed. If I'm to believe when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ that there is a party that breaks out in heaven... I don't think there's an angel up there with their eyes closed. And it's weird because I feel like even with churches doing that approach, it's almost like we put condemnation and shame on it because we don't want anybody to see who's walking down the aisle because what they got going on. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation. If you are in this house and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you would like to know him, when we pray, I want you to come down here. If you are in this house and your heart is far away from Jesus Christ to the point where you know if I was to die this evening, I would not go to heaven. You know that you know. I'm not here to argue theology with you. I'm here to talk about relationship. In the name of Jesus, there is freedom in this house. In the name of Jesus, there is freedom in this gospel. He still looks down on the lowly. He stills out for the underdog. Let's pray. Father, in your name, in this house, I speak freedom. Through the boldness of Christ, 
as a son adopted into the greatest family there is. I pray right now that the enemy would know that the days are numbered in calling God's people by everything that they are not. And Father, I pray right now that you would whisper to hearts, that you would woo, that you, Lord, would let us know that this is what it's about this season. Not all the traditions that we have made, but the one that you started it with. Let's bring it full circle. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.